Hello and welcome back to another episode of Franklin Covey's newest podcast called C-Suite Conversations with Scott Miller. That's me, your host. You may recognize me or recognize my voice as the host of Franklin Covey's other weekly podcast called On Leadership with Scott Miller. I'm delighted today to be interviewing Julie Lodge Jarrett, who is both the Senior Vice President and Chief People and Purpose Officer for Dick's Sporting Goods. Joining us today from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Julie, welcome to C-Suite Conversations. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. Delighted to have you here, Julie. Uh, One of the reasons why we invited you is because I recognized you from one of the television commercials that Dick's Sporting Goods ran in the last year where they were highlighting the commitment they had to diversity in leadership, uh, both gender and racial. We'll talk about that today. But you got a little bit of fame from having come across my television set out here in Salt Lake City uh, morning after morning after morning. What a great ad campaign Dick's Sporting Goods had. Before we get into that, uh, do our listeners and viewers the service, if you will, of walking us through some of the highlights of your own remarkable career journey, of course, two decades at the Ford Motor Company, living around the world now on the executive team at Dix. Would you fill in some of the blanks and talk about what your path to the C-suite was like? Sure, absolutely. And, and I'll start because I think it's important talking about where I was born and raised. I will admit that I absolutely didn't have aspirations to be in the C-suite someday. I had aspirations to be successful, but I was raised in a small rural town in Ohio. My dad was a high school football and basketball coach and teacher. My mom was a dental hygienist. And their goal for me and my goal was to have greater opportunity in life than, um, than they had. And so Uh, When we looked at college, I did fairly well in high school. My dad's gig was if I could get a scholarship to university, I would get uh, a car, a used car, new to me car. And so um, that was that was my goal. And I had goals throughout the different chapters of my life and and had a great opportunity to get a scholarship uh, to the University of Toledo. Um, And I was part of a leadership UT program incoming uh, freshman through uh, your undergrad. And it really fundamentally shaped my thinking because it was a great program. My undergrad was in marketing. Uh, I went on to get my MBA and it shaped my thinking of where business intersects with leadership and culture and community. And I'll admit to this day, I've still not taken a formal HR class, uh, which maybe isn't something a, a traditional CHRO should admit. But I really think that it's been helpful for me to have a business background and foundation to then connect that to the people uh, that the business serves, whether it's the employees or shareholders or or the community. Uh, So coming out of college, I had a brief stint in investment banking and and realized very quickly that that world wasn't for me. And I uh, met an amazing labor person at Ford who thought I should come try my hand in uh, UAW negotiations. And that was, to, to your point, two decades in the making. And so had a phenomenal career at Ford, still bleed Ford Blue, um, uh, it covered all aspects of HR. My family and I had an opportunity to, to live abroad for five years. We lived in Shanghai, China, and, uh, and, and were forever personally and professionally changed by that experience. I had uh, Asia Pacific and Africa responsibilities at the time. And, I guess what I would say is another important part of my journey was that it took a village and it was my support system. And so I certainly wouldn't have been able to be successful 
without, you know, parents that had my back, without a husband who gave up his career so we could literally and figuratively move to the other side of the world, um, without kids who were open to the adventure. And, uh, and so it's been, a, it's been a great ride, and, uh, and we're not done yet. So I'm happy to be here talking about it. It's a great recap. In fact, this was not a small pivot to have moved um, out of Ford. You mentioned Ford Blue. You bleed Ford Blue, one of America's most iconic employers and manufacturers. You are there for 21 years. What was it like, I'm guessing emotional, to have left Ford and joined Dick's? Uh, It was tough. It was a really hard decision because there was so much I loved about Ford Motor Company that um, that I think in your early in your career, you make decisions based on the roles that will add additional tools to your toolkit. Right. And as you get further in your career, you make decisions more about um, the the nature of the work and the impact you can make about the team that you're going to be working with, about the values that um, that you have and and wanting to connect to other companies with those values, and even about industries that excite you. And so there's certainly something about um, hearing the roar of a Mustang engine that uh, that gets me excited. Um, and so when I decided to pick up my head and be open to other opportunities, I was looking for many of those same things, um, but an opportunity to make an impact at a higher level. And so at Dick's, um, I, I grew up an athlete, so it wasn't retail that intrigued me necessarily, no disrespect to retail, but it was the sports and a company that was rooted in sport and that was part of saving youth sports and creating a quality in youth sports, but also helping um, athletes better their best. And it was the leadership team and a founder-led company, again, family-led at Ford, founder, founder-led at Dick's. Uh, and the opportunity to work for um, uh, an, an aspiring female CEO as well as an executive chair um, icon in uh, in the sporting goods industry. And the last thing that I would say is the connection to philanthropy and being part of um, a better world and being part of something bigger than yourselves. And so while we're a sporting goods company, um, we certainly are very dedicated to equality in education, to equality on the field, um, and, uh, and, and I needed to work for a company that had those same ethos and values and was willing to step up and take a stand on the things that were important to me. Julie, let's tease some insights out of your 25 plus year journey. Uh, you were at Ford, of course, uh, for 21 plus years during the Great Recession and the American investment in the automotive industry and how not every one of those participated in the same way, uh, but we know that, but what's one lesson that you took a leadership lesson, people mm-hmm. lesson, culture lesson that you took out of your time at Ford? I would say <clears throat> one of the greatest lessons that I took is there were a number of times at Ford that I was the one who was different in the room or in the conversation. So whether it was the young female on the manufacturing floor or it was the American in China who didn't speak the language, who had blonde curly hair and was very tall, or it was the the only HR person amongst operations leaders. And so I had a choice to make whether or not to try to conform. And I knew I wasn't going to get, I wasn't going to fit in. And so I consciously made a choice to stand out and to figure out how I could add unique value. Um, and, And of course, situational leadership, you've got to adjust your style based on the situation, based on 
the, the environment and the constituents that you're talking with. But I learned that um, I really should stay true to who I am at my core, because at my best, um, I am, um, I'm, I've got strong points of view. I laugh out loud. I, I occasionally cuss like a foreman, but I'm still working on it. Um, uh, but I, I tell you about my weekend and my kids, even if you don't ask. And I had to, to learn to embrace who I was, be okay being different. Um, but also take on the onus that I needed to look for where I could add unique value and where I could contribute. And once I kind of uh, let myself off the hook and was okay, not necessarily being the one of many and, and, mm. and easily fitting in, uh, I think that really unlocked my ability to make a difference and frankly, to, to be excited about uh, being part of um, some of the big initiatives that we had. Pivot to your time in China, if you will. You mentioned you had a five-year stint with your family in the Ford Motor Company in Shanghai. And for our listeners and viewers and myself, I've been to Shanghai numerous times, had not lived or worked in Shanghai, which is different than a two or three day, you know, business trip there. What are some of the lessons that you'd like to share with our listeners and viewers around the world, the global economy, perhaps how the uh, greater Asia sees Americans? What are some of the insights you'd share with us from your time there? Yeah, I would say that China, we called China strangely fabulous. And if you focused on everything that was different, and there's a lot that's different between, you know, a Western mature country and an emerging market that's also a, a communist country, um, you miss what's unbelievable. And we learned, first and foremost, the fact that our view of the world was incomplete. We learned that um, we learned how to live in a city of 25 million when we grew up in a in a town of, you know, 2,500. Um, we learned that um, one of the biggest challenges on our side from a, a business perspective was understanding how education and culture upbringing could impact your ability to drive leadership um, in, again, uh, a more conservative emerging culture versus a more mature Western culture. And we also learned that the assumptions that we make and the knowledge that we have running a business in the United States or in, in most countries in Europe, what we knew to be true and be successful was not necessarily the recipe for what could be successful in Asia, Pacific and Africa. And one of the cool things about that region is we had mature markets, but we also had uh, emerging markets. So we had, you know, India and Thailand and China. Um, where we were frankly just trying to figure things out and enter those markets and understand those consumers and understand that talent base. But we also had more mature markets like South Africa and Australia, where um, that demographic and the needs of uh, and the culture of the workforce and um, and the consumer was very different. And so it was it was a lesson in diversity in every way possible. Um, and it also was a humbling experience because while I just described about being, you know, often the one who was different in my career, the reality was in the U.S., I'm, I was the majority. I had a, a pretty easy experience, relatively speaking. And when we found ourselves in a country that was very different with a language that's incredibly complex, you instantly know what it feels like to be the minority. Yeah. and. 
Um, and that was that was a humbling and important experience for for my family and I. Great recap. You're right. You realized you had an incomplete worldview. All of us, I think, have an incomplete worldview. Uh, most of us have an incomplete view of everything in life, right? It was why right. uh, changing our paradigms is so vital to being great leaders. Let's pivot to Dix for a moment. You serve as the chief people officer and the chief purpose officer. You have a variety of responsibilities at the executive level at Dix. Uh, retail organization online as well. Dix has certainly been in the news in the last several years around important positions that you've taken, whether it was um, vaccination efforts for your employees or <clears throat> perhaps the organization's stance on how you were or were not going to stock and sell certain types of weapons and rifles and things. I think the news is such that your organization's stance on minimizing greatly the sale of weapons and certain types of weapons has been well received with many of your clients and many of your employees. I'm guessing not everyone. What's it like um, at Dick's to be in the middle of a conversation that you kind of find yourselves in serendipitously, but taking a stand? Not every organization chooses to weigh in on topics. Um, what can you talk about there in terms of the impact of the culture with your employees, but also your, your customers around the bold decisions your company's made around weapons sales? Yeah, I would say that overwhelmingly, it's an extreme pride point for uh, our teammates. It's something, it's, it's part of what made me want to come. I, um, my husband was a police officer for 17 years. He was a sniper on the SWAT team. We're supporters of the Second Amendment. Yes, and we don't believe that assault rifles should be in a retail environment with kids' soccer cleats. And, and we also don't believe assault rifles should be in the hands of 18-year-olds. And so for the company to take a stand, to make the decision to lose hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue because they want to be part of making our country a safer place um, uh, puts purpose over profit. And, um, and, while, and to your point, while it wasn't well received with a portion of our, our customers, and it wasn't well received with a portion of our teammates, um, people have choice. And, uh, and while one of the beauties of diversity is we're not all going to agree and be aligned on things. And so how do we create a respectful environment where we can agree to disagree, but we can understand why we did what we did. And we want to make sure we don't stand up and, and have a voice publicly on every platform out there on every uh, issue out there. We take a stand on those issues that are core to us, um, to our company, to, to who we are as leaders and, and community members. And recently our executive chairman, um, Ed Stack, um, posted on LinkedIn again last week on responsible gun reform. And at a seven o'clock meeting this morning, um, talking through what our next steps are gonna be in, in really urging um, uh, the, the Senate and the, and the country to make some progress. So it's a real pride point actually. And, uh, and something that, um, that I, that I wish more companies created an environment where you could have safe conversation and you could talk about where you're aligned and where you're not, but also took stands that were core to who you are and your DNA and your culture. Ed will say, we're a company with a heart and a soul. And so we're going to make those decisions that are right for our country and our business in the long run. And if they have short-term negative business consequences, then um, that's okay. Well, nicely said, I'm proud 
to spend my dollars at Dick's Sporting Goods because I do think you're leading out very responsibly. So um, uh, nicely said, and I, I appreciate uh, Dick's position on it. Uh, let's talk about the commercial that came out about, about a year ago or so, where it was on everybody's television uh, for several months or longer, where it talked about the commitment that Dick's Sporting Goods had to um, diversity and executive roles and leadership roles across the company. I think it featured, gosh, I don't know, six or eight senior executive level females. And it certainly gave the impression that Dix was leading out in that way, perhaps even disproportionately in the industry, but also just you know generally in business. Uh, talk about the value that has come maybe from that advertising campaign. How has that given voice to people that otherwise might have been marginalized in their careers before Dix or even in Dix for that matter? What, what can you talk about in terms of the outcome of the focus on gender diversity and leadership? I would say that again, um, overall, overall, it was overwhelmingly positive for our teammates, for um, uh, for our athletes. That's what that's what we call our, our customers. And it was actually our chairman's idea. Um, he wanted to bust the myth that sports equaled men and that C-suite equals male executives only. Um, and so uh, we had recently appointed our CEO, Lauren Hobart, into the role. And um, a number of our executive leadership team are female uh, leaders, some who grew up from within Dick Sporting Goods, some like myself who came uh, from other industries and other companies. And he wanted to, and we wanted to show that um, that diversity takes on very different forms, but we can be leading the way in the boardroom and on uh, the field as women, sim- just as equally as men. And so one, of the, one important thing to reinforce is that it's not that we have an entirely um, uh, female leadership team while it was just us in the commercial. It's that we all have a seat at the table and it's very much a part of our early career entry program Um, diversity and inclusion, whether it's gender or it's race. And we have some opportunity to make progress in that space and complete transparency. Um, But then from a female standpoint, um, uh, it's something that the company has been working on for uh, for more than a decade. And it's something that we're really proud of. It's it's also something that we can use to as a as a platform to help young women, whether they're um, a a young student athlete who's a cashier in our stores, to know that um, they have just as much of a chance of sitting in in my seat as their their male um, uh, classmate has. Julie, let's take it personal to your own leadership style for a moment. I'd like you to think about the people who report to you right now. Uh, What would they compliment about your leadership style. Give me two or three strengths that you think your team members would uh, compliment you on. That's a good question, uh, Scott. I think they'd say, I'll, I'll give you three things. I think they'd say, what, first of all, positive energy. I think um, I'm not Pollyanna, I'm not rainbows and butterflies, but I very much approach any situation with a can do, find a way, what would need to be true, um, optimism that I think is really important and a big part of success in tackling challenging things. And um, in our industry, in our profession, we tackle a lot of messy things. And so that positive energy um, would would be important. I think the next thing they'd say is, um, is I'm collaborative and collaborative shows up in a couple different ways. Internal to the team uh, within People and Purpose, I 
um, I am willing to roll up my sleeves and engage in the work and um, not to micromanage, but to figure out how I can help and coach um, and also set expectations and, and continue to be relevant and close enough to the business. And if I reflect back on the leaders that I've respected most, they've been the leaders who never allowed themselves to get too far removed from the day-to-day -day work, from the day-to-day -day issues, uh, or from the people. And so really staying close and, and collaborative with my team. And then also with my executive peers, um, a lot of things get done through relationships, as you know, and being a support function, if we aren't connected into the business and we don't have those strong relationships with our peers and our counterparts in the business, we're not as effective in what we need to do um, in our function. And the last thing I think they'd tell you is I'm a strategic business partner. And so I talked a little bit about having that business background, but we look through two lenses always in the work that we do. And first and foremost, what we do has to add business value. And so we might think it's amazing, but if our customer doesn't agree, if our employees don't agree, if we're not helping drive the business, uh, then um, we're not doing the right work. And the second filter that we look through, and I think we're uniquely qualified for is enhancing the teammate or the employee experience. And so we've got to be the voice of our teammates. We've got to make sure that we're advocating for them and understanding what their experience is. And that kind of strategic lens, always making sure the business value and the employee experience is at the forefront of, of all of the work that we do. I think they'd tell you that. I think they'd probably also tell you that, um, uh, that I set high expectations and I want all of us to be our best self um, and, uh, and, and to, to deliver our best work, but I'm also really supportive in helping people get, um, uh, and better their best. Take the flip side of that. To the extent you have some detractors, which we all do, we all have people that work for us that don't always gravitate towards what we think are our strengths. Uh, what would some people that work for you say are your weaknesses or your biggest areas of growth or things that you do that quite frankly irritate people that you're maybe self-aware of now and are working on? Uh, so this is one um, that will stick with me forever and always. There was a woman who worked for me at Ford um, and, uh, and we were working on a communication and the team had brought me a draft of the communication. And in hindsight, I cringe at the story, but I'll, I'll tell it anyway, um, because we're all human. Um, I had marked it up and I had marked it up in red pen to make it even worse. And, uh, and I had made a significant number of changes and I had handed it back to the team and um, Shirley was her name, this uh, woman on my team. And she came to me and she said, Julie, we can make these changes, absolutely. Um, but I'd ask you to think about, did we not do it right? Was it not the right way? Or was it just not your way? And that was a really fair question <laughs> because in many of the changes that I made, the outcome would have been the same. It just wasn't the way I would have done it. And so that's something I'm trying very hard um, to ask myself when I'm when I'm giving feedback and when I'm uh, requiring of changes in any of the work that we're doing, it has to be great work. It has to be high quality work, but it doesn't have to be necessarily the way I would have done it if the outcome could be the same. So I ask myself, is it wrong or is it just not my way? And if it's not my way, then I let it go. And, um, and if it's not as good as it needs to be, that's when I decide to engage um, and to help uh, make, make it better. 
I would say that's that's uh, that's definitely one thing that that I've worked on over time. The other is um, when I speak, I speak with conviction. I have a strong point of view, um, but I'm going to be convicted with a point of view on pretty much anything you ask me to uh, to share my thoughts on. And the team doesn't always know when. No kidding. This is a non-negotiable, and she feels really strongly mm, about this. Yes. Or when. You know, I could go either way, but you asked me for my opinion, so let me give it to you. And so I've gotten better at giving that preamble of clarifying up front. Um, let me just be clear. Honestly, I'm not going to fall on my sword over this one. But if you're asking for my thoughts, I'd probably do X, Y, and Z versus guys, under no circumstances can we do that. We need to go in this direction, and here's why. And so I've gotten better at clarifying before I share my thoughts when it's most important and when I feel convicted and when I'm just sharing my thoughts because somebody asked me to. Julie, that was a masterclass, a five-minute masterclass in leadership. Thank you for your vulnerability. What you said, to repeat, is you've learned, was it not my way or was it not the right way? And I think that's a great that's lens for leaders to think because I can, I can remember being on the receiving end of my competent leader's sort of, you know, frenzied red, you know, and I, and I just felt emasculated. I felt humiliated. I felt right? stupid. Yeah. And I had yeah. a college degree. In fact, I had a degree in, you know, marketing and communications and PR. And, and there was probably some benefit technically, but the, the uh, diminishment to my self-esteem and self-confidence was, you might say, irreparable at the time. So what a great insight. And then, like you, I get passionate about everything. Flowers, champagne, tennis, boxing, retail. I mean, yep. exactly. And sometimes I have to clarify, <laughs> yeah, is it my opinion or is it a non-negotiable? That's a gift. Thank you for your vulnerability. Let me end on this question. Um, and I'm guessing you probably have an opinion on this, but what do you think men in the C-suite do well that women either on their way to the C-suite or in the C-suite could learn from and emulate? Are there some differences? And then I'm going to ask you the opposite. What do women do well in the C-suite that men that are either in or could learn from? So I'll, I'll couch my comments by, um, by going into the stereotype, um, because I know not all men behave in one way, not, not all women do. But I would say the things when I think about the men that I've worked for and worked with and what they've done well, um, First of all, it's it's leading with confidence. And so um, it, it's being okay, being their authentic self, the story that I was telling you earlier. Um, my experience would suggest that men are much more comfortable. They go into an interview and they're going to lead with every reason why they're the right person for the interview, whether, whether there's seven reasons why they are and three reasons why they aren't. They're not going to tell you the three reasons. They're going to advocate for themselves. They're going to lead with confidence and um uh, and, and I think that's a, a real strength. I think men, um, uh, again, stereotypically um, lead with, and, and I do as well, for the most part, lead with facts and data and, um, uh, and in a very balanced, um, non-emotive way. And, uh, and just kind of, we got to make a decision. This is a tough decision, but we're going to get on with it. And that's that's uh, why we're in the positions that that we're in. Um, and so I think it's the confidence. I think it's the um, clarity of leadership. I think it's the ability to see through 
um, to see through the complexity of a situation, of the emotions, of the challenges, and uh, and and create the right business decision is is absolutely a, a strength that I see um, from male leaders. Uh, from female leaders, on the flip side, um, I think that uh, that, and I even think about myself. We we often bring more of that empathetic approach. We often bring more of a human-centered um, view on things. And so that's the, the beauty of the balance, right? We have to look through the business lens. We also have to look through the human lens. And I think that um, that in oftentimes men and women complement themselves in that. I think that women often ensure that we're inviting others in, that we're bringing others along, um, that we're that we're making sure that our view is complete and we're not just making quick decisions with incomplete data, but we're saying, hey, have we thought about this? Have we asked these people? Have we um, uh, have we kind of raised our gaze and, and made sure we've we've done all the work necessary to, to make the right decisions? Um, so I think I think that's how I'd answer yeah, it. Yeah. Um, Julie, we talked a fair amount about gender equity, but also gender identity is a, 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 a significant issue that families, schools, communities, employers, retailers are facing, whether it be gender fluidity or gender identity. To, to what extent do you see the landscape of our changing world uh, uh, impact dicks in terms of uh, a robust conversation right now happening in America around you know people that have transitioned their gender, they're playing sports that perhaps weren't their gender by birth, and there's a lot of robust debate about that in terms of all the competition, I'm guessing it's a it's an issue that Dix is gonna face both internally as an employer and is facing, whether it be certain restrooms and, 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 and accommodations, allowing people to bring their whole selves to work, but also bring their whole selves to the stores. Uh, to what extent do you see that, that hot debate, that, that, that social topic happening right now, um, dragging, pulling, pushing Dix into the conversation? Well, I think that um, that we're not unique to most companies yeah. in America where we have we can't bury our head in the sand. This is absolutely a conversation that's happening, whether we're engaging in it or not. And so, um, we work with our uh, teammate resource group, Out and Proud, which is our group uh, um, supporting the LGBTQ plus community, and we're creating dialogue circles and conversations so we can talk about it. And some things. Uh, uh, aren't black and white and some things are confusing and some people are more informed and others are more ignorant and even knowing some of the gender fluidity versus gender identity versus pronouns and so there's a lot of education um, and information that needs to be shared and we're starting there to help people understand uh, a little bit more and get more informed. Um, I think that on the employment side uh, it's it's everything from making sure your policies are updated and your applications are updated and you're um, you're as inclusive as possible in the questions that you're answer asking. You know, we were looking at our bereavement policy the other day, and um, it's all about aunts and uncles and sons and daughters and he and she and how do we even need to update you know the fundamentals of of the words that we use and the nomenclature that we use to make sure that it's inclusive. And then it gets to but making sure everyone feels like they belong, whether it's the, the unisex bathrooms or, um, uh, and then in our stores, it's everything from the products that we sell to um, uh, how we represent athletes with our mannequins to 
um, uh, to how it's impacting sport, to your point, and, um, and understanding um, uh, certainly the hot topic that is um, transgender athletes at the moment. So for sure, it's something that we're talking about and that we're making sure that we're a part of helping educate and be as inclusive as possible, but also work through some of the challenging debates uh, that are happening across the U.S. And, and globally in this space right now. Julie Lodge, Jarrett, you have a fun but challenging job, no, no doubt. You serve as the Senior Vice President and Chief People and Purpose Officer at Dick's Sporting Goods. Thanks for joining us today. Appreciate your insights and your vulnerability. Some great lessons that we've learned for you. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. And we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation from the C-Suite.